right, you there? Yes, sir. Uh, we're recording, man. What's up? Oh, just living the dream, you know, hanging out at the gym, uh, talking to some of the kids when they come by and trying to inspire them a little bit, tell them to stay out of trouble. And uh, we're not giving out candy here. Uh, we gym's on the main street, so I didn't want them coming to the door here. So I was trying to avoid that by not doing candy on the like the main street of our town. But there's kids yeah. out there, so I kind of feel bad. Yeah, I got away with it this year with the uh, I guess it's like flooding rains going on right now, so I don't got to worry about the kids. And I was I wasn't prepared anyways. I forgot to get the candy. So. Yeah, I live in Idaho. It's pretty cold, so they do the trunk or treat where people just bring cars around with a bunch of candy. Yeah. Is it started uh, snowing there yet? Snowed the other day, but it didn't stick. So we're we're in the clear. It's fifteen degrees at night, but no snow. I'm not ready for that yet, man. Yeah, I hear you on that one. So, all right, man. So, why don't you just uh, go ahead and like just introduce yourself real quick? Just kind of like who you are, what you've done, you know, what's going on in your life right now. So, my name's Terry Lamb. Um, I'm an American Ninja Warrior. Uh, I'm known as the Tatted Ninja, and uh, I work. Uh, I work with a lot of kids and youth in my community to uh, to fight addiction and keep keep them in front of the resentments and the things that uh, got me in trouble when I was younger. So I opened this little nonprofit kids gym and, uh, you know, we're just chipping away at, uh, improving the youth and making them stronger, better, healthier kids and teaching them to encounter problems with grit, tenacity and answers and solutions. Nice. Nice. So, uh, did you just have, you just recently had a baby, right? Yeah. He's right over here. Here, actually, he's watching Friends right now. He's uh, stays old. <laughs> so, dude, you're, so are you in the trenches right now? You getting sleep? You getting time yourself? What's up? You know, he's been really good. Um, he wakes up every two hours to eat, but other than that, he's not real fussy. He's he's been a little, little gassy. Um, so I started kind of giving him some water just to help even it out. But no, I mean. We're doing good. I get up at 4 a.m. every day. I have a 5 a.m. class that I teach of adults. Um, and like I said, like, you know, I go to sleep around 8, 9, and every two hours get up, feed him. Your girlfriend helps me, and and then just the show goes on. Now, is, is this your first kid? Uh, it's not. So I have a stepdaughter who's five. They're out trick-or-treating right now. And then I have a daughter who's eight who spends most of her time with her mom in California right now. Okay. All right. So I kind of found out through you. Um, I was watching, um, what's it, Sobriety or Talking Sobriety. I can't remember. It's the, it's the show that, uh, that Colin, um, I forget his name. They call him Scummy or whatever. But yeah. uh, you, you, did a, you did a podcast with us. That's kind of how I learned about you. And then I started, like, looking you up. I, you know, I found you on YouTube. I, you know, I found some things about you. I was just curious if you wouldn't mind, like, just trying to, like, go back to, like, your early days, like, start when you were, like, a kid and kind of, like, walk your way up to, like, where you're at now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when I, when I grew up when I was younger, I, you know, I remember I lived in an ice cream truck in my grandparents' backyard when I was probably – three, four years old, five years old. And I remember my parents were into drugs and we didn't have nice things. We didn't have a lot of things. And my grandparents kind of took care of us and my parents weren't around a lot. And I remember living in an ice cream truck and then later living in a trailer and spending the summers there. Uh, my mom would be gone. She'd kind of hand us off to the grandparents or to the dad for the for summer. And 
I remember being like five or six years old and we'd go hike the hills in Southern California and, you know, we'd be gone for like six, seven hours and we'd come home and our dad would just be passed out. And uh, so I started kind of fending for myself at a really young age and, you know, I got in trouble and I remember I moved with an abusive stepdad. My mom moved me out. So I moved to Arizona, then I moved to Montana, and then I moved to Utah. And I had lived in probably like three or four different houses in each one of those places. So I ended up going to like 20 different elementary schools throughout my childhood. So, you know, I made a lot of different friends and I learned to fit in, but I was never really true to myself. You know, I kind of had to do the chameleon thing because right. it was just, just so many different surroundings, different people. And uh, um, that stepdad was really abusive and uh, he would beat us and he had this this thing for lying. And, you know, kids kind of lie. It's just it just is what it is. And yeah, I remember I remember one time I. I didn't remember where I put something, but he said I lied because I, in my opinion, in my, in my memories, I didn't remember where I put it. And he, you know, tore me up over it. And, uh, I ended up moving with my mom. She ended up divorcing that guy. And I had lived in Utah when I was about 11, 12, 13. Uh, I started getting into drugs. Um, you know, we were doing silly stuff too, just like, like for anywhere from like huffing, uh, huffing like those scent sprays with a towel to you know we even huffed like gas out of a gas can once yeah and then and I weird, weird stuff you do in, in middle school right where you're not quite into like the hard drugs but you find like gasoline or yeah. <laughs> whatever you whatever whatever those weird stuff that you used to do when you're you know 12 13 years old you know just kind of being like i think a lot of kids kind of go through that you just the experimental kind of thing but then i got into smoking weed and and i got in a little bit of trouble and so my mom sent me back to California to live with my stepdad, which was actually her second husband. And I call him my dad. He's my real dad. He's the only dad I've ever known. But he's still my stepdad. And um, I went back with him. And, and for like a year, I, you know, I, I got clean. I got straight A's. I stayed out of trouble, started riding dirt bikes. That's how I met Colin years ago. And um, then I got, you know, I made more friends again. I was a freshman in high school. And by sophomore year, I was out partying and getting in trouble again. And and I lived that uh, that SoCal mentality, you know, party boy. And I, I say lifestyles of the rich and the famous on a minimum wage budget because that's right. the best way I can describe it. Okay. And I guess you were into like surfing and skateboarding and all that good stuff that Southern California has to offer. Yeah, total like the bro thing. Yeah, exactly what you're picturing. Dickies, yeah. tall socks. Yeah, all that. Well, see, like when I was in like middle, like I, I grew up like skateboarding, uh, sur like in, you know, I'm from Panama City, Florida, which is like a generic version, uh, or uh, like we we want to be Southern California, but at the end of the day, we're, we're we're just Southern Alabama because we're right underneath it. But uh, we always we always you know we love the vibe. Kind of we, we we always try to have it. I grew up skateboarding, surfing, you know, listening to punk rock, and uh, but I was always kind of jealous of like what southern california had as far as like i mean you guys grew up in like the uh like like punk rock central um you know the best surfing waves uh everyone was riding skateboards i mean southern california was just like a mecca for us but uh you know the more i looked into it it seemed like southern california also had a, a, like a problem with like losing kids to like drugs and alcohol it was uh 
I mean, like, I don't know, I've read a lot of books just about the scenes and stuff there, and it, it was very easy for a kid to get, like, lost into, like, the madness that California had to offer as well as all the cool stuff. Yeah, and that's 100% correct. You know, I think in those bigger cities, too, we don't notice it as much, or maybe it doesn't hit the newspaper as often, or it doesn't get the recognition as often that that kids die from drugs and from overdose and from right. neglect from their parents. But we see it. You know, I live in a small town now, um, and I see it more. Yeah, my daughter was actually my daughter was born in Brandon, Florida. Okay, oh, that's not too far. I know where that's at. Um, but it, it, you, you are right. Like it's weird because, like, you know, when I was in the military, I got exposed to like a lot of different kind of people. I got exposed to people that were from like New York City, Southern California, you know, Los Angeles, places like that. And it's just like and we had drugs and stuff when I was younger, but it was like the the fun drugs. Like everyone was smoking weed, doing ecstasy. You know, if someone ever got a hold of something like cocaine, it's like, oh, man, we got cocaine. But I was talking to people that, were, that grew up in, like, some of those bigger areas. It's like, yeah, like 12-year-olds that were getting into heroin, you know, becoming heroin addicts before they were, you know, able to, to drive cars. I mean, it's 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 a different atmosphere, I guess, in the bigger cities. Or And, and I, I guess you're right. Like, now, because I'm a paramedic, you're seeing drugs become bigger, especially uh, the opiate uh, academic. Like, it's uh, it's it's everywhere now. It's, 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 it's running rampant through even the, the small-town USA's. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. It's it's just surreal. Um, in the town that I live in now, in Idaho, where... So, I'll hit back on my story real quick, if that's all right. Yes, um, sir. So, I ended up moving back with my dad. Um, when I was 18, um, you know what NOS is, like nitrous that they make cars go fast with? Yeah. You know, it hits right on the head with the, the drugs and the stupidity, but... The kids were huffing that. They were filling tanks, putting it in balloons, and huffing it. I took my buddy to go fill up a tank, and I ended up um, taking a balloon with me when I was driving. One thing led to another. I ended up inhaling it, and uh, I crashed. And I rolled three times. I got T-boned by an F-150. I spent 19 days in life support, another 20 in ICU. I shattered my forehead, shattered my eye sockets, shattered my cheekbones, shattered my nose, shattered my jaw, broke two vertebrae in my neck, three in my lower back, six ribs, compressed the lung, and then hairline fractured most of the bones in my body. And I, I, I've heard you tell a story before, but it's like, do you remember, like, I mean, I've, I've heard people doing the nitrous, and, but like, it, it, it's like a um, like computer duster in a way, right? It kind of just puts you on your ass. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, so you, do you remember uh, like driving up the road and hitting other vehicles and, or any of that? So I remember, this is exactly what I remember, is I remember I was going to take the balloon to my buddy because addicts love to share with other people. Yep. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to take it to my buddy and show him what it's all about. And um, I ended up putting it in my teeth. And I went to make my – I went to drive away and to make a left turn onto the to the main road there. And the guy behind me honked, and I was changing a CD. So I had a CD in my hand and the balloon was pinched in my teeth. And I put my car in drive. It was a manual, and I made my left turn. I inhaled, and the only thing I had been holding my breath because I had that that balloon pinch. The only thing in my mouth was that balloon, and I just. Oh, and then I remember just a foggy bounce around, and then I remember waking up and telling them, "I didn't do it," because all I saw was sirens, and that's. Yeah. About it. Yeah. Now, do you remember the ambulance or the uh, paramedics? Everyone working on you at the time? Do you remember if you were in, like any any pain or was there any like pain management or anything that you had that you were going like that initial part after the crash? I remember the paramedic, um, they were trying to, I remember when they were cutting me out, I didn't realize what was going on. And I, 
was looking around and I was like, hey, I didn't do it. Like, and he said, you better relax, bud. You're in real bad shape. Like, you need to breathe and just relax. And then I realized how much blood and realized kind of, okay, this isn't, something's off. Yeah. And um, I remember they were trying to pull me out and they couldn't pull me out because the, the area where my feet was, was so tight that my shoes wouldn't slide out. So I had to take my shoes off for them. And then they right. slid me out. Man. And now I imagine like the recovery process of like, you know, injuries like that. It's not, it's not short and it's not sweet. It's got to be a pretty long and painful process, right? Yeah, it was um, two years in and out of surgery. I had four full facial reconstructive surgeries. Um, well, kind of like, like stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, but they call them all reconstructive surgeries and then seven other extensive and then I just stopped having them. They wanted to do shoulders, knees. Um, they wanted to do like some other scar revision stuff and like wanted to send me out to all these other doctors still. And I was like, dude, like I'm overwhelmed. I can't do this anymore. Like I was riding dirt bikes again and kind of getting back in the gist of things. And I was just like, I'm just going to get back on the horse. And I've made it this far still. I'm a little smarter about stuff now and take right. the time to be healthy and educate myself on things. From where I was, did you see the like you know after you you go through uh, you know, some trauma like that? Did you like see the light? Like it was like like hey, I gotta change my ways right away, or you know, what, what was you know, life I, like like before you right after something like that? You know, and it's it's the craziest feeling, and I love when people ask me that too because it's so emotional. But I didn't, I did kind of see like, so I didn't realize how bad I was, what shape I was in. Um, because the only time I got up to go to the bathroom, well, I was on a catheter for 19 days. And then when they put me in, um, they put me like upstairs in the critical care unit instead of ICU. And I walked by a mirror in the daytime and I walked by and I, so I strolled by like this and I looked over at the mirror and then I kept going and I went past and I walked back and I was like, oh, oh man. And I walked over and I had a bunch of stitches staples had 108 stitches and staples in my face and head and i leaned over the sink and i remember looking at myself and i was like oh man you effed yourself up this time dude like huh, you're not a pretty boy anymore like you did a number this time and yeah that was when i realized the gravity of the situation but that was like 28 days in so then i was pissed at everybody that came to see me because i was right. like Nobody told me, and they're like, well, what are we supposed to tell you, Terry, that you look like you roadkill? Like, you should have died. And I, but I didn't, I got worse for a while. Um, depression, addiction, anxiety, PTSD. Um, yeah, I was, I was going to ask you that. Did, did you have, like, because uh, just from what I know about some of the vets that I've served with and stuff, it's uh, when they have serious trauma, you know, obviously there's always going to be PTSD when you experience something traumatic, but they had a lot of, like, you know, a lot of them have, like, TBI. Like traumatic brain injuries and it, it, it and just because I know I knew who they were before the uh, before the, the events happened and then I obviously knew them after um, it changed their whole personality like a lot of them weren't the same uh, person like but, and I mean like realistically not like like they, it was almost like a, a switch hit and like they're a completely different person like they're angrier or they were uh, I don't know it's just completely different personality or behaviors that you didn't see before the accidents that, they, that occurred that was anything like that with you as far as like when you think about like TBI and things like that? I would say I became more irritable, um, more self-centered and less caring. I'm 
I felt invincible almost like, what are you going to do? Put me back in the hospital? Mm-hmm. Like I already broke everything. They can fix it. Like take your shot, buddy. And, and so I kind of got worse for, for a long time. And, and I definitely got more addictive that anything I did was full send. Unfortunately, it was mostly full send in the wrong direction. Right. But definitely, you know, and I was supposed to go see like neurologists and all that. And it was just so expensive and I didn't have Medicaid and I couldn't get any really any help for medical that I never really followed up with all that stuff. And, and, you know, now I looking back, talking to my loved ones, like they tell me like, yeah, you changed, but getting clean and sober, like I have now and, and meditating and working on myself and focusing on what's important, like my kids, my family and doing the next right thing. You know, I definitely found like, I've literally had my aunts, my parents be like, this is how we remember you. Okay. So you, so you got back to kind of who you were before that. And how long did that take? Because I, I mean, obviously you had the addiction problems. Did you ever get hooked to like the uh, like any like the painkiller type? You know, just what they were feeding, or they were probably giving you to help manage pain, or is it just kind of like just you know recreational drugs, alcohol, things like that? Um, you know, so I had like a laundry basket full of drugs, like everything you can think of. Obviously, like that level of trauma. And I was really lucky because my dad that we talked about, he came in one day and I took four, I don't know, Norcos or whatever they were. And, and he goes, hey, do you need those? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, are you in pain? And I said, no. And he goes, well, why'd you take those? And I said, well, it's been four hours. And he goes, but you're not in pain. Yeah. And so he took the basket in his room and we kind of caught like, so I think I was, but I didn't like prolong it like once we caught it but I did smoke weed for a while afterwards it was the only thing that made my migraines and my head pain go away Mm -hmm. um and so I did smoke for for quite a while afterwards until I finally got clean um going on four years now headed towards four years that was uh getting clean was that tough for you like the because you know I've gone through it and lots of my friends gone through it we had to go through like the whole detox um, and then like learning how to live without certain substances and stuff like that. Did, did you have like a hard time or was it a pretty easy, you know, I guess crossover? You know, I, I basically ruined my marriage single-handedly due to my drinking. Um, yeah. I've, I've been divorced now to my daughter's mother. She was in the army and we were stationed on McDill. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where my daughter was born in Brandon. And, I, for the longest time, like, I would never tell anybody that I would never admit it, but, um, I got nothing to hide anymore, you know, and, and, um, but, I, but definitely my drinking real, my marriage. So for a long time, I wanted to get clean for like, basically like four years before I did, I wanted to get clean. But when I found out how expensive rehab was going to be, yeah. I just went back to the liquor store and bought another bottle and would just party. And I was kind of living in this pretty much like a trap house, just kick back every night, drink, party bro lifestyle every single night and and then that's when I made the move to Idaho to make the change and then I got even worse when I got here because I was around my mom and I hadn't lived with my mom in 15 years so that brought out some different emotions I didn't expect and And plus like the failed failed marriage and everything else on top of that yep and it so it's weird it brought up her marriage I've never told anybody I've only journaled about this so it's kind of cool that we get to talk about it um, but it brought up her marriage to the abusive stepdad that was an alcoholic. He ended up dying from cardiac arrest, and my little brother found him. Wow. And um, so that was emotional, too. And then I knew that he died because of his drinking, 
And then I ended up getting a couple of DUIs and I was like, that's it. And Idaho said, we'll send you to rehab and we'll pay for it. And I was working a pretty good job, a warehouse job. And I walked in to the bathroom and I remember I leaned over the sink again, just like I did in the hospital. And I said, well, you hypocrite. What's your excuse now? Yeah. And I cried. And then I went into the uh, the facility manager and I said, hey, I have an opportunity to change my life. And I said, I'm an alcoholic and I can go to rehab. And they didn't even know. They knew I got DUIs. Yeah. But alcohol is socially acceptable. So I was floating, you know, on the line there. Yeah, that's kind of like what, I, what I've learned about like alcohol compared to like some like the, the harder drugs. And, I, you know, I, I know addiction is, is addiction, you know, there's but just I guess like some like the ways you know, it, like, a certain addictions attack where like, you know, hard drugs, like you're, you're really worried about dying. You know what I mean? Like, especially when you're looking like things like heroin and things like that, like it, yeah, it's going to mess your life up completely, but you could die the next time you do it. And it, it's a quick reality. Like your life falls apart really quick when you start doing like things. And it's just, this is coming like, just so I see like, you know, as a paramedic and the things I see people, but with alcohol, it's a very slow death. It's a very like, you manage, you you go to work, you think you're doing everything fine and just you keep doing it and you keep it keeps building. And then, you know, before you know it, you're divorced, your family's gone, nobody wants anything to do with you, you burn every bridges and you don't even really know where it all went wrong because it's, it's just a slow, uh, I guess, a slow effect that it has on you. And, and it's just as bad. And I, like I said, I don't think anyone one's worse than the other, but like, I think just, you know, just what I've experienced with alcohol and the things I've seen is just like, it's, it's not a quick thing. It's, it's like a, it's a long, painful process all the way until you either, you know, you die of, uh, you know, alcohol induced sicknesses or you, you know, whatever. Like, I mean, it's just, it, it is definitely, you know, it's a tough thing to, they're all tough, I guess. But how was your, uh, your, your stay at rehab? It was really cool. Actually, the, the lady that was my like uh, recovery coach in rehab actually just came by today to see the baby. Um, and I went in and I wasn't court ordered. But the rehab that I went to is mostly people from like a drug court program or a court ordered program. And I wouldn't say like I was able to do more, but like they were like, you have to do this, you have to do this. And I was like, like, why do you why do you have to be so like you have to you have to like I'm not court ordered to be here. Like I'm trying to learn stuff and I feel like you're trying to control every move. So I still had that. You know, that F authority. Right. For, you know, kind of thing thing in me, but. I went in Lava Hot Springs, and it's a vacation town with, like, actual hot springs that you can go okay. swim in and sit in. So it was like nature being on vacation kind of. So it was a pretty spiritual thing. We had to do yoga every morning. The, the, the manager made us. We had chores we had to do. We had study time. So they taught us kind of how to live again like we should have been. And I ended up leaving a little bit early from there and then coming home and doing an IOP because they were like, you know, I – like, why'd you come here? And I, I said, you know, I feel like I needed to experience this. And I was talking to a counselor and I told them, you know, I've been wanting to get clean for four years, but it's so hard to find the resources or get my hands on the right people. And they're like, there's resources all over. And I'm like, I know now, but it was easier to run down to the liquor store and hide from it. And yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a hard thing to, like, to just do like, like, okay, I'm going to stop, you know, that's but it's never like that because it's always in your head and you always you're always trying to find a reason why you should go back to the liquor store um i think that's one of the good things about rehab is like you get that detox time and you get that time where you don't you don't have to like you don't really have an option like you're going you're going to stay sober for a week and you're going to get a chance to to, to feel it better and and, and so i guess like start the process of you know of actually really getting clean and really staying sober 
Yeah. So. Yeah, it was so, one of the coolest things I've ever done by far. Yeah. Now what? Now what? After you got sober, what was life? What was life like after you got sober and you really started going through like you know the process of living like sobriety? I'm, I'm sure that you start meetings and uh, mm-hmm. sponsored. Did, did you go that whole route? I did. Um, I got home. We have a really cool. All of our meetings are in the same building in because I live in a smaller town up here and. So I started going like every day of the week, like that was every like every single day. That's all I did, and and I took off and started being of service and helping out in there and, and doing things around there. And then I got into fitness. Um, they took my license, so I couldn't drive. So I rode my bike to the gym. It was like eight miles one way. Work out for two hours and then ride it eight miles home every day for like eight months. And um, that's when I discovered. I don't know if you've ever heard of Spartan Race or obstacle course races. I've I've done a Spartan Race before. Awesome. So I work for Spartan Race now. Oh, cool. Um, but uh, the original Conor McGregor fight and Nate Diaz fight came on the very first one. And there was a commercial for Spartan and it said it was in Boise, which is about two hours from me. And I was like, dude, I could do that. Like, I bet you I'll I bet you I'll kick ass at that. Yeah. And uh, I went and did it and I got like 18th place out of like thirty five hundred people. And I'd never even run more than three miles. So I was like on cloud nine. Yeah. And um, I hopped in my car later that year, and I quit my factory job. I was working in a frozen facility on a forklift, and I told them, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. And they said, are you putting in your two weeks? And I said, no, I think I'm just going to quit. But <laughs> <I just>, uh, <laughs> like, I'm not happy here. And uh, I had some money saved up, and I hopped in my car, and I drove to Tahoe, California. That's where the world championship race was, and I... I volunteered for like eight days and then raced and volunteered after. And they said, we need to give you a job. And I was like, yeah, you do. Like I could, I could get paid to do this. And, and then I got into uh obstacle course racing and then like the American Ninja Warrior thing now. And, and I just discovered that my story inspires other people, you know, like, Oh, I, I hurt my knee in seventh grade and I can't really run. And I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, I hope it gets better. And they're like, so what happened to you? And I tell them everything. And they're like, I think I can do a race. And I'm like, yeah, I think you'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, just to go back a little bit, because, you know, when you're going through, like, you know, your addiction and things like that, you, you had you had a kid at this time. You know, what was it, uh, what was like being a dad then compared to what it's like to be a dad, like, once you got clean and sober? Like, were there, like, just things, like, lifted that you, like, things you realized and things that you learned that, you know, made you a better father? Yeah, you know, I journal a lot. I should have brought it out here so I could hit some of the highlights in it. But it's it's night and day difference, you know, and I I almost feel guilty. Um, I was drinking in the delivery room or in, yeah, like in the room and uh, just the depths of hell, in my opinion. When my daughter was born, and I love my daughter to death. Um, she's amazing. And I love my ex-wife, even though, you know, we're not together because she takes care of my daughter and and she's always always been there when I wasn't wasn't doing what I needed to do. And but seeing all this now sober and him like I can't even put into words. I'm not good enough vote with in my vocabulary to say how amazing it feels. And it's just astounding and fulfilled to be clean and sober and remember all these little moments and like, oh, I got shit on my finger. Like, cool, I'm going to write that in my journal like before I would have been pissed off like oh, I got shit on me like now I'm gonna stink you know and just I'm learning to just that the smallest things mean the most and are the most valuable things for me in my life and it's just a night and day difference and 
you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's definitely, I don't even know who I was then. It at, After how I'm acting with my son now, like, I'm like, dude, like, what happened? Like, just like you said a little while ago, like, where'd it go? Where'd it turn? Yeah. So, I mean, let me actually, I mean, this might be a little personal, so, but, uh, you know, a lot of problems, like, especially, you know, there's just things I've seen in, like, you know, personal experience and, and the experience of people I know close to me that have battle addiction. So the hard part is, like, like forgiving yourself, you know, and being able to move on and accepting the things that you've done in the past. And obviously, I'm not gonna say it's easy, but like you, you seem to have done it. You've have like you forgiven yourself, or I don't know. Now I'm speaking for you, but you know, was that a struggle for you? Like when you look, like you know, when you're trying to get clean, you're trying to get sober, you're trying to, you know, live a better life, you know, be a better father, but you still got those, uh, you know, those dark memories of who you were and the, and the, and the, the, the times where you didn't take advantage, you know, where you know you let things slip. Was it hard for you to kind of forgive yourself and move on? Um, yeah, I think, you know, the more I think about it, it's just hard because I can't, I can't make up for what I already did and yeah. I can't change my ex's mind for some of the things that I did or that happened. Um, you know, I was never physically abusive or anything. I just was an asshole and I drank a lot. Um, and that's the blunt of it. Like I was arrogant. I was narcissistic and I was an alcoholic and there's no, no hiding from it now, but as hard as I work on trying to, to tell her and show her like, hey, you know, she still is weary of my relationship with my daughter because of it. So I think, you know, to answer your question, like, I feel like I've forgiven myself because if all those things hadn't happened, I wouldn't be the person I am today and I wouldn't be where I'm at mentally um, and just all the way around. Yeah. And so I've kind of let go of it myself. But the hardest part is not being able to to get through to somebody else like, hey, like, you know, I'm back to how you remember me as a kid because she was my like we were we kissed each other for the very first time when we were like seven. Like my aunt used to babysit us and stuff. And so we were, you know, lifelong friends and I burnt all that, too. And so it's so hard looking back like, you know, what do I got to do to prove to you, you know, to make. And then my biggest thing is. Is I didn't pull half custody of my daughter because I grew up without that foundation of not knowing where yeah. I was going to be, where I was going to go. And my daughter's going to turn nine this year. And I finally feel like, you know, maybe she's old enough that like we can talk and I'll bring her for the summer, but I don't want to bring her up here for the summer and then build another resentment because she does something and I have to punish her and tell her, Hey, yeah. like, what are you doing? Like, that wasn't safe. You can't do that. And, right. and she's like, well, I want to go back to mom's. Well, you can't like, you're with me for the summer now. And, I didn't want to yank her back and forth because I know the foundation of her core values and what she needs is is at that young age. And I know that damaged me a lot. So I've kind of not pushed the issue really hard. And that's been the hardest thing that I've had to deal with both when I was in addiction and, and not and even worse, not being is not trying to yank her over here and be selfish about it. Yeah. And you know, it just sucks. Yeah. Now. You know, you've been you've been sober what four years now? Yeah, I'm coming up on four years. And what have been like some of the influences? Because I know you talked about the person who came and visited you. You know, the people you, you met at rehab. But were there other like influences in your life that kind of you know whether you know higher power or you know good friends or long lost family members that came in in your time of need? Or were there people that like were there that influenced you that, that that played a big impact in your sobriety? You know, I would definitely just go with my dad. Um, he's not my real dad. Right. But he's the only dad I've ever known. But he got clean when he was, I think, 28. 
which is about the same time I did. And he never drank. And he, he would always tell me, like, nothing good happens after 10 p.m. Like, you're wasting time. You could be making money. You could be setting yourself up for the future. And and I always wanted to make him happy, but I felt like I just wasn't good enough. And when I finally got clean, like, he brags to everybody about me now, like, because I do this ninja thing and I'm working with kids and we have all these projects to go to the United Nations Sports Council meeting and open gyms and Egypt and all this stuff that we're trying to work on and and um, he's just you know blown away by it but still like deep down inside I'm like man if I would have just if I would have just listened to hear instead of listen defensively and to respond when he tried to teach me and discipline me as a kid you know a lot of people screw up discipline and punishment discipline is from the word disciple to provide direction and guidance punishment is when you plugged it in three times I told you not to and then you get shocked you know, and and so I tell parents when they bring their kids in, when I work with kids or my own kids, like I'm disciplining you, I'm not punishing you. Punishing you is when I take it away because I told you three times and you you weren't listening. And I didn't know that. I didn't even I didn't care. I didn't want to know it. I felt like I knew everything. And and so building that back up with my dad to what it was when I was younger, when I was 13, 14, 15, that was my biggest goal, my overall achievement, that the drive that was like look, you can, you can have it back. You can, you can prove to your family that you're not this facade, this heartless drunken creature or whatever, however you want to word it. Like just, Oh, it's just, it makes me feel sick. Yeah. So, I mean, so what's going on now? Like what are, what are the things that are important to you now? Like what's, you know, cause it seems like you got a bunch of tasks and you got some things that you're real passionate about, you know, what, 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 what is this tattoo ninja that you talk about? You know, I, every tattoo I have has a story or a meaning, like every single one, there's a solid purpose behind it. And I meet a lot of people that can't say that they're like, oh, that's cool. And I'm like, no, I, I want a story. So every kid, so I have a check engine light on my head and it is such a conversation starter. And people are like, well, why would you put a check engine light on your head? That means it's broken. And I'm like, oh, so because I have it on my head, you'll ask me if I'm okay. But when you see someone else struggling, you don't take the time to ask them. Ooh. <laughs> uh, cuts. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and that's, you know, so my goal now is I didn't have that safe haven. I didn't have that place to go. I didn't have a mentor. And all children, no matter what, they need a sports, they need a, a coach, a mentor, an outside figure, a friend that's not their parental figure. It's, a, it's proven in, like, science time and time again. And for kids to be successful, they need a mentor to help guide them. So I'm trying to open gyms like mine and you can see some of it in the background. Yeah. Um, it's not fancy, but it's, I own it. So, um, to give them somewhere to go to get physically active and overcome obstacles because that's what they're going to do all throughout their life. They're going to overcome obstacles. So my goal is to provide a sanctuary. Um, this is called the ninja sanctuary where they can go and stay away from drugs and alcohol and out of trouble. They can connect to the Wi-Fi. They can print homework. They can do homework. They have someone to help them work through some of that stuff and try to stay in front of those resentments and those things that led me on that path of self-destruction that I was on for so long. So just being a force of good to everybody around me. And it's not just kids, like other adults, like, Hey, you know, someone could have a bottle of whiskey and a loaded gun on their nightstand ready to go home and just throw in the towel and you 
interact with them at Walmart and you tell them, hey, you were really helpful today. Like, you're really good at your job and I appreciate that and give them a hug. And they go home and put the gun away and put the whiskey away. And they're like, you know what? I am good at what I do. I'm going to make some changes. Literally, we all have time. That little sliver of time is all it takes to save somebody else's life who's in the depths of addiction or depression or just in a funk. But we don't take that little bit of time for everyone else. We're so caught up in trying to be successful and do our own thing that I feel like we forget about that, you know, and and the division that's in our country and in the world right now. Like, well, when aliens invade and we're all human again, I guess I'll help you then. Like, no, just be a decent human now. Like every day you'll feel better. I promise. You know, and I just, it's rewarding to me. I, I get high off of it and I shouldn't say that because I'm in recovery, but it's, that's the facts. So, um, now you're trying to get onto the, uh, just to go, Go into like something like just a little bit more personal about yourself. You're trying to get into the uh, the American Ninja or the Ninja Warrior. I, I'm sorry if I'm not saying if I'm saying it wrong. The- yeah. So American Ninja Warrior is a TV show. Um, and I feel like I have the skills athletically to do really well on the show, and I've proven that because I'm friends with a lot of the top guys that that you guys would see on TV, and I do competitions with them often, just not the televised one. Mm-hmm. And um, so I actually just submitted the video. I could send you a link if you want to check it out. Um, I can't post it. Um, But I basically, you know, that'll be a platform for me to to open this message and to find investors and other people like, look, we can change the lives of so many kids if we teach them to approach life's obstacles with a solution. Okay. With an answer. So your goal, like, you know, it sounds like you're just trying. You're trying to, like, like, like stop it before things happen. Like you want, like you. I mean, obviously, you'll help anyone that needs help. But like, I guess your seems like your goal is to go back and help the kids. Like, give them guidance and like some. I guess some of the things that you were missing as far as like that, that mentor or you know that person that you needed. And, and that's kind of like where you're at now. Right? That's kind of like your way of giving back is going back there and and giving kids like some kind of foundation or some kind of structure that you were missing when you were younger. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, hundred um, percent. You know, I have this, I have all these tattoos and I'm crazy looking and I jump and swing and fly through stuff and do flips and all the different stuff that the kids love. And so they're like, whoa, this guy's rad. He's cool. And, and so they don't forget me. So I'm, I'm basically like a cartoon character to a lot of them. And, you know, some of them say I'm a superhero. I don't see it that way. I just, I just want to see other people succeed. Yeah. Yeah, cause, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of like where most of us went wrong, anyways. Like, as much as I, you know, I had, I had a lot of fun when I was a kid, but there wasn't a lot of like adult supervision. There wasn't a lot of like, like adult involvement in like, in, in me growing up. So it was more like when those bad things came in, when those temptations came up in front of me, I didn't really have anything like pulling me away from it. I had more, I guess, pulling me towards it. If that makes any sense. Yeah, a hundred percent. So there was there was ten suicides in my city in a 30-day window, and they were all 18 and under in 2017, all kids. So these kids haven't even, <laughs> like I say it like this and people think I'm crazy, but they even have good sex yet. And yeah. we shouldn't say that like to kids, but it's like, dude, you don't even know what you're living for yet. Like that's when kids come and the good stuff starts happening and you know they haven't experienced anything. And these kids, all 10 of them died and, and killed themselves, shot themselves, hung themselves. Um, took pills in a 30-day window and American Ninja Warrior had called me that year and said we can't wait to work with you 
we can't wait to uh you know just show your story to the world and we're excited and we think that you're gonna go far and and then they called me and said we're behind schedule if you can come we might be able to squeeze you in maybe probably and i had saved money because i figured car rental hotel everything for the event and this gym that we're in right now came up for rent and i was like you know what i'm not gonna go for a maybe i'm gonna open open the gym and I'm going to directly impact the community here because I know it'll change lives here and it may be only a little slice of the cake but if I keep going eventually I'll meet the right people and we'll grow and we'll we'll do it all over the world and and I've made a few of those connections now and you know it's just I don't I don't know yeah dude that's, that's some powerful stuff well I mean we'll wrap this up but also I, I want to give you a chance because you know, usually you know it's this it's not, this is a parent. Like I said, it's not really a parenting show. It's, it's a show where dads get together. You know, I, I like it to be more about like share. Cause I think, you know, to become a dad, like there's so much shit that happens before you become a dad. Like, there's so much stuff that we go through to get to this point where we're at. Um, and it, it takes a lot of us a lot longer to get her, you know, get, get things together. But I think, you know, the story of someone becoming a dad is like the most important part. Cause everyone's got, you know, and you know, God bless them, but you know, everyone's got these, uh, not everyone, but there's books and there's parenting books and there's, had to be a dad podcast somewhere out there. And it's just like, I mean, it's all good. And I hope it helps people. But for me, it's like, I mean, like what, what where are you coming from? Like, what, what, let me see your scars real quick. You know, show me some of the things that you've gone through. Um, and, and like I said, they're, they're great podcasts, but I like this one to be more about like, like I want to know like what you did wrong. I want to know like, like what you had to come from, like to, uh, to get where you're at. And I kind of want to hear you just say like, if you could put it all together, like from the beginning to where you are now, like, what are some of the things you could tell someone, you know, as they're getting ready to become a parent or, you know, as they're struggling to get to where they need to be? Like, what is some of the advice that you would give? You know, the number one piece of advice I would give is, is it just takes time. Children don't need fancy things. They don't need expensive things. They just need you to spend time with them, love them, show them that they matter, encourage them, lift them up, watch them fall down, pick them up, teach them sports. You know, and it was so hard for me growing up because I never had anybody there that was teaching me sports and, you know, showing me how to swing a bat and teaching me how to ride a bike and and being the father figure or even the mother figure growing up, I missed so much. So I feel like it makes it easier for me because I know what I want to do with my children. I know what I want to do with my kids. I know I want to be there. I know I want to help them. I know I want to see them fall down. I want to pick them up. I want to teach them sports. I want to learn and grow with them. But I think we get wrapped up in, or at least I get wrapped up in, you know, having to provide the fancy, the new, the best things for them and working so hard. And, and we work three jobs and they have a nice house and a nice car and everything, but I'm not spending time with them. Like the last five days, I've literally, life is rough right now. I'm taking naps every time he naps. I wake up when he does. I feed him. I've been living like a toddler with him, like a baby, because it's been, I'm off work, so I'm fortunate. I have a kind of a cool schedule. I make my own schedule, but I've just focused on making sure that I take every little ounce of it in and experience all of it and document it and journal and write it down and remember it and just cherish every little moment with him. So I can tell them later, like, hey, you know, you did this when you were tiny. You don't remember. And and just be everything that I didn't feel like I had when I was a kid. And I think that just makes it so much simpler for me. You know, don't 
get drunk and yell at his mom in front of him and put her down and be a fool and a tool and feel like I need him to do something cool he's not comfortable with to impress my friends and, you know, just loving him for him and just just being here for whatever he needs me to do and, and until he can do it himself and, and doing that to the best of my ability. It's a whole new reason to live, a whole new reason to breathe. And, you know, I, I work out a lot and I don't feel like I was working out that hard because since he's been here, I feel like there's a lot more in the tank and that, that speaks volumes in itself, you know, and yeah, it's an honor. I mean, well, I appreciate you coming on the show tonight, man. It uh, means a lot. And I really, you know, appreciate you sharing your story. And, uh, you know, I'll be rooting for you with this whole Ninja Warrior thing. I'm going to be checking in to see how everything's going, all right? Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm I'm catching up on all the podcasts, too. So uh, if you need anything from me, whatever, you're having a bad day or you just want to shoot, shoot the shit and talk, just hit me up, buddy. All right, brother. We have a good night, all right? All right. Thank you.